The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Hey Rockheads, it's the .NET Rocks Visual Studio 2010 Road Trip with guest Ivar Jakobsen, recorded live in New York, New York, Tuesday, May 3rd, 2010. Carl and Richard are hitting 15 cities in three weeks, recording a new show every day. Follow them in real time online at .netrocks.com slash roadtrips. The .NET Rocks Visual Studio 2010 Road Trip is brought to you by a handful of sponsors, including the following gold sponsors. Telerik, deliver more than expected. Online at www.telerik.com. Preemptive Solutions, powered by Runtime Intelligence. Online at preemptive.com. And Redgate Software, ingeniously simple tools. Online at red-gate.com. Special support is being provided by the Microsoft Visual Studio team, the Windows Phone 7 team, and the Bing team who developed the Road Trip Tracker application in Silverlight 4. And now, here's Carl and Richard interviewing Ivar Jakobsen in New York, New York. Hey, New York City! Welcome to .NET Rocks! We love New York City. (laughs) And I hope you guys like the pizza. (laughs) Is it? All you do is feed them. Because it's New York pizza, you know. It's not. It's not that Midwestern or Southern pizza. Some other kind of pizza. California pizza. There's no licorice whips and Red Hots on this pizza. (laughs) No alfalfa sprouts. (laughs) Just cheese. Just cheese. Cheese. Ah, uh, so here we are on the twelfth, twelfth show, show of the road trip. We've got a few more to do, three more to be exact, and um, we just can't resist coming to New York. It's a great, great. We always love talking to you guys, whether we're giving presentations or code camps or .NET Rock shows. Richard, we have a very special guest with us. We do indeed. Here, returning after only a, a couple of months, so we're lucky yeah. that respect. Ivar Jakobsen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Ivar. So when we were on, when you were back on the show in uh, January, we were talking about the unified process model and, and UML and all, all the great contributions that you've made to the, to the programming world. So let's just not talk about any of that today. Would that, <laughs> would that be okay? Of course. Anything. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, if you want to hear about Ivar's stellar record in, in his career, listen to show 516. Uh, from January 14th. Uh, we'll talk about it a little bit, of course. But I, I understand you've got some great stories to share. Absolutely. Uh, what are you thinking about? Well, I guess first we ought to really just talk about, um, you know, those days, the, 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 the days when you and Grady Booch and all these guys, you were forming UML and object orientation was big. and it's still big. Yeah. <laughs> but it but you know things are there's a lot of uh, functional programming coming back around these days. It's always been there. Yeah. But I remember back in in the 80s where it was really a wrestling match over what style of development was going to become dominant and ultimately I think object orientation became dominant at least in the business application space. Uh, and it seems it's funny how it had already just uh, sorry interrupting you but yes. in the telecom space it had been there many years before. So, <coughs> object orientation or, or functional? Yes, object orientation. It mm-hmm. was not really called object orientation, but uh, we we use the same uh, basically the same metaphor. Um, we definitely use components, right. component based development, 
uh, actually already since 1967 uh, at Ericsson, uh, but Ericsson was the first. So Ericsson won, <coughs> basically won everything in telecommunication. Yeah. Um, and then Bill Gates invented it in uh, 1991 and 92, uh, 30 years later. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, I mean, what did Bill invent at that point? It's components. Uh, components. Oh, yeah, I, I yeah. see. Yeah, I remember when he invented that, you know? Yeah, well, it certainly provides some tooling around it, but uh, yeah, I'm not so sure about the invention part. What were they doing <laughs> at Ericsson? I mean, we talk about telecom. We really talk about telephone? Uh, no switching systems. Switching systems. Just yep. connecting all the calls together, like the, yes. the way all of that stuff works. And, uh, <clears throat> uh, uh, introducing, uh, SP, it's called SPC, Store Program Control. Right. That was long before uh, it had uh, any, any it in, uh, introduced in uh, business applications, uh, apart from what IBM did at that time. Mm. And yeah, and Ericsson did. There's a whole raft, and I can't remember the names of all the, the technologies. A whole raft of technologies that came out of Ericsson around real time systems and and sort of managing, uh, keeping because the nature of telecom. I mean, you've got to keep moving all say, the time. I was going to say the nature of telecom switches is you've got a lot of individual units that have to interact and a lot of rules and things. It's perfect well, objects, for an object oriented yes. design. So yeah. yes. Um, uh, telecommunication is really interesting. Uh, how many have worked in telecommunication? Maybe about so, uh, yeah. in switching. Got, in switching, just a handful of people in the room. Yeah. So I mean, uh, one thing we uh, at thirty years ago we felt was that uh, in in a switch you had all problems that you could find in uh, in the whole domain. We had severe real time. Right. We had a huge database. I mean, we had 100,000 subscribers in, in a switch. And every subscriber had a lot of special, uh, special data. And uh, it was um, a very high requirement on response times. You know, we need it's got to be fast. Yeah. Mm. And it had to be, uh, it had to work. We, uh, the most difficult requirement was, of course, uh, this one. The system should be able to be extended in for 40 years. <laughs> wow. And, you know, all the vendors said, comply with. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No problem. Because there yeah. was no one that could measure if yeah. it was possible, right. right? If we're wrong 40 years from now, we'll refund your money. <laughs> yes, if you're, uh, yeah. Yeah, if you're alive. Yeah. So you've got all these, I can't imagine it sort of being like a, um, a macro view of an electronics sort of uh, uh, board, you know, as you could tell, think of a switch like that. What is, did UML sort of come out of the need to, uh, to, to just sort of map all that stuff out and figure, yeah. figure I mean, out uh, you know, UML, just so it's clear, UML came out 1997. Right. Then it was a standard. <clears throat> but there was basically nothing new in UML mm. that didn't, hadn't existed for 20 years. Or th I mean, really important thing had existed a long time ago. Yeah. Uh, how many have w been working with UML? So we talked. That's a few, <coughs> yeah. 20 people? 25? Yeah, 20 people. Yeah. And you be, you will become many more in the future <laughs> because actually now, uh, Bill Gates support it, you know, and that means a lot. Mm -hmm. There was a time when, uh, Microsoft was, uh, uh, let me say reluctant. Reluctant. That's reluctant. a good word. Yes. <laughs> uh, I mean, um, well, from what I understand about that, they, they felt that it didn't support eventing and things like that, that they wanted to go all the way from design to code generation and code implementation and then back the other way. Who was that? Uh, Microsoft. Oh. With the white, with the white horse uh, designers, were they? <laughs> that, that, I, I don't know if that was ever on the arena, but I mean, that was what, uh, what people did in, mm. uh, in, in telecommunication. We did, it's called model driven development, you right. know? Mm -hmm. You start doing some kind of drawings and based on these drawings, you can generate uh, a lot of a code because there is, in t particularly in telecommunication, um, the code is quite, uh, the, the code writing is quite trivial if you, if you have done a good design. Actually, just to give you a number, at that time, uh, the code writing was about less than 20% of the whole work. Mm. So if you 
because the rest was about architecture, about design, about testing, and so on. So the, the code writing was actually it was less, but I mentioned a higher number just because I felt the, the small number was uh, embarrassing small. <laughs> <laughs> so did you guys actually get to the point where you're able to to create these models and the code would essentially write itself? Uh, okay, we. Ha- we, now we are going back many, many years. We're okay. going back to 80, 1980, something like that. At that time, we basically did the, uh, we did the design and we, uh, we translated it manually to code. We didn't have any tools to right. really do this translation, but we, our developers called, and I'm talking about Ericsson just so, uh, actually, actually called this work job for chimpanzees. Uh, meaning mm, nice. w- jobs yeah. for monkeys, monkey yeah, coders. Monkeys, yeah. 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 And, and the reason was that they didn't need to think. Uh, right. The job, uh, the design, uh, the models were so um, well developed. So all the thinking had been done before. Now this is not the same. The same. Uh, you wouldn't have the same situation in financial applications because many of these applications or the algorithms are more interesting. But in telecommunication, it's uh, most of the work when you get an Input uh, is just a few transactions, and it's quite simple transaction. So if you if you specify these in in some kind of uh, drawing language, it just is trivial. There are also in telecommunications some more advanced algorithms, but these are so rare. So you do it; uh, it, it may be less than one percent of the whole work. Mm. So it kind of made the, de- the developer's job the less desirable job in that field, right? Well, uh, uh, yes. Uh, people there felt that they, to, to be a programmer was really not fun. Hmm. So, well, that's uh, not where the development work happened, right? So is that is, yeah, because all the development work was happened uh, before you actually wrote the code. Yeah. But we are in a different situation today. Today, at that time, we had almost no frameworks. We were working directly on the top of our operating system. Right. No frameworks. Uh, so um, work today is uh, very different. Today, we programming is more like um, uh, use, reusing stuff, reusing frameworks, component, interaction, putting together things to get it to work, and less of a raw coding as we had at that time. And that is true for, for uh, probably most applications, not only in telecom. Yeah, we've just gone up a couple of levels of sophistication now. Yes. Switching gear is, I mean, as a network guy myself, I, you know, I'm looking at just how high performance high end switches are today. It's insane what they're able to do. Yeah. Millions of simultaneous connections. And, and it's and, still much simpler to do it today than 30 years ago. Right. Because yeah. 30 years ago, you had to deal with a switch and the switch had congestion, you know. Because you couldn't have all calls going on. Uh, you couldn't have 100% of all calls succeeding. Right. Because it would be incredibly expensive. Today, it's 100% almost. Yeah, we, we find an exception when it doesn't work. Yeah. Unless you're mm. talking about a cell phone. And then we're always happy when we actually make a call successfully. <laughs> yeah, right. It's a different <laughs> issue. Particularly with some very popular phones, yes? Yes. Yeah. Can you hear me now? <laughs> So, I mean, this is history, right? Uh, I'm much more interested in talking about the future. So, absolutely. So, I mean, you, like I said, UML's been around a very long time. I'm just wondering if we do have a future where it just seems like models have not gotten a lot of, attra- of traction, uh, in the, especially in the, in the Microsoft space. You know, the, code that models. We can actually model our code before we write our code. Mm-hmm. Or even, can we get to the point... And I think this is one of the things that Oslo, Microsoft's technology, proposed was this idea that the model becomes the code. Mm. You only model and the code gets generated for you. Yeah. Do, we, do, you do you see that? You've done this long enough. I mean, we, we, this is not really a new idea. Right. Uh, that, uh, and that is what we saw would happen uh, 30 years ago. Right. Mm-hmm. And actually, there were some tool vendors that did it. Uh, have you heard about Telogic? It's now disappeared into another big company. Um, uh, it they did uh, these kind of uh, so uh, basically the transformations <coughs> and very efficiently and still now there are modern tools that actually do a lot of that that we were dreaming about thirty years ago. Mm-hmm. We are not still uh, all the way, but we are getting uh, f- further. So basically, 
there are visions that you actually, once you have understood the problem, you actually also have understood the code. So, uh, but this is still uh, still a long way before we have generalized it. But this is. is uh, uh, are there any tools in particular that do uh, model model driven programming that you you are liking these days that you want to? Yeah, but about? I cannot not mention them. Nothing here. you can comment on. <laughs> Frankly speaking, no, I don't think, uh, I mean, I think uh, the vision is much better than reality. Yeah. Right. So let's, uh, we still have to wait a little bit. So before. let's stay in fantasy land for a while. Yeah. Still. Uh, more comfortable there. But it, uh, what we have to do is, there's so much things we can, do, we'll be able to do in the future that we mm. cannot really um, uh, try to implement today. Uh, but we can get closer. And um, we also, the, the, the future means that we code writing, uh, what we traditionally call code writing, will be uh, less, much less. Instead, we are talking about component and component interaction and component connection. Uh, so we're building systems by connecting components and more and more. We were talking at the beginning of, about how there's been a sort of a resurgence in in mainstream programming to embrace functional programming, F-sharp is in the box in Visual Studio. Anyway, this is the, our, our taste of it lately. Um, you say it's always been around. Of course, you know, Lisp has been around for years and years yeah. and years. But and there are things that are of, better expressed in uh, functional languages than yeah. in object-oriented languages and so on. In terms of bringing this into mainstream business applications, where do you, do you see this, uh, this trend happening a lot or... Does, is it always been at the same I, level? I don't see, and for my horizon, I don't see anything particular that uh -huh. makes it uh, stronger today than, uh, let's say, 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. It has always been where it will, and we s now we see, well, well we, you know, our industry is a fashion industry. Okay, let, let me say like this. Mm. It looks like a fashion industry. Hmm. Uh, because we run from hype to hype. Yes. Yeah. That uh, uh, has been like this forever and ever. We get tired of our tools, especially when they work really well. We get yeah, tired and of we, them. And, and everything that, that is true? a commodity, for instance, I mean, take objects, object orientation. Um, people don't, don't go around and say, I do object orientation. I, don't, I do object oriented programming. Of course, we do, but we don't talk about it so much. Mm-hmm. And there are many things like that that become commodities. Instead, we talk about new things. Right. And uh, this has gone on forever. And um, one of the reasons we have this situation is that we basically don't have much of common knowledge about what software development actually is. Because we, at school, uh, university professors don't really know what it is. I mean, mm -hmm. there are some. But uh, most really have never really built any commercial software. So they don't really know right. what it means to develop some bigger things. They're typically so, not up on the latest things. Anyway. Exactly. Yeah. So um, we have, we have, um, uh, but that is something I've been working with. So when I said I want to talk about future more than talk about history, mm -hmm. is uh, one of the things I've been working on for the last uh, two years is a new initiative that we call CMAT. Has anyone heard about CMAT? CMAT? Yes, E-M... No, he's reading the screen. Right, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Thank you. Software Engineering Method and Theory. Mm -hmm. um, we have uh, about 33 of the most well-known people in the world, exactly 33, I think, has signed a manifesto. Uh, you can call it a manifesto. But we basically say uh, software engineering is standing on top of immature practices. The way we develop software is immature, mm -hmm. okay? So 33 of the most well-known names in the industry are saying that. And then second statement is, there is a way forward. We need to, we need to refound software engineering based on sound principle, best practices, and a kernel. This kernel includes things we always do when we develop software. Mm. We always have these things when we develop software. We always produce these things. Always. Not only once in a while. We always. But we don't see it because we have using different practices. We're using different terminology. Mm -hmm. We cannot really talk to one another about it. 
So the whole discipline of software development is actually standing on a very low level uh, based on tools only. Programming languages, tools, and so on, but not on some common knowledge. And still, there are thousands of good practices, uh, well, hundreds of practices out there that we could harvest and reuse over and over again, but they are embedded in big methodologies, mm. or small methodologies for that matter. They are embedded. You cannot really take out the practice and say reuse them. <coughs> so, just... Um, well, I mean, there's some common elements between each of those methodologies, I guess, that I think you're, you're getting That's at. That's exactly what yeah. it is. I mean, the basic idea of testing and of design. We always test. We always right. design. These things always happen. It, we they, always implement. Yeah. We always mm-hmm. have a backlog. We always have... We always document. Yeah. We, we always we, fix bugs. Yeah, we, we do. There are a number of things we always do. The way we do it may vary depending on which practices we, we like to use, but we always do it. So we... We believe, and I'm talking about these guys who uh, signed this uh, so-called call for action, call for action, time to do something. Mm. We all believe that um, uh, if we identify these things, we can then basically describe any methodology with these universals, as we call them. We call them the universals of Mm -hmm. software engineering. So you should take a look at uh, at uh, the website. Uh, this is non-commercial. There is no commercial interest in it at mm-hmm. whatsoever. People ask me why the heck I spend time on this because I have a company too, and um, but I believe this has to be this has to happen. We really need to change. We need to raise and be mature as in other disciplines. So do you think that? We sometimes will, you think we'll probably recognize a lot of these things that are in this manifesto. You think there's some things that some people in certain practices won't, will, will, won't be doing or won't be seeing and recognizing themselves or is this? No, I think uh, everyone who, who tries to look into this will say, of course, of course, yeah. we, I always do these things. Right. So it's nothing really exciting. But the ah. exciting thing, the fact that we identify them, we agree on them, that's the important thing. Uh, widely agreed upon. If it's not widely agreed upon, we cannot, we cannot um, mm. benefit from it. And, and you're calling this computer engineering. Do you see software <coughs> development ultimately as an engineering exercise as opposed to, say, uh, some folks who call it a craftsman's exercise? It's both. Okay. We need both. I mean, we, there are lots of... Basically, there are two trends. I call it two micro trends. One trend is that we raise our level of understanding what we do. Mm-hmm. And that is something that uh, I personally have worked with uh, for all my life. And uh, uh, I've seen that, you know, you merely such an example by getting a standard in how you model. Mm-hmm. Okay, you have got something we can agree on. And there's nothing, no reason to invent a new uh, similar language. Uh, Microsoft did a couple of years ago come up with domain-specific languages. Uh, and uh, that was the future for for many people uh, five years ago. I hear very little of a do- domain-specific language today. Now we are back on track. It's UML uh, that, because the customers want it and so on. But So that's one example, and there are other examples too. Um, but then there is another trend. I call it uh, the um, professionalism and craftsmanship. Mm-hmm. I actually wrote a blog about this just uh, a week ago. And this trend is take the individuals as a starting point. And basically, many people who support this trend uh, basically say, it doesn't help with any new methodologies. We, that won't help us at all. What we need is good, better people, more yeah. people who are trained and so on. And that's true, uh, if we can get that. But I see no conflict. Because uh, it's easier to be a professional if you have better tools to be professional. Mm-hmm. If you understand better what it actually means to do it, then you can mm. better uh, easier to become professional and craftsman. So we both. The both warning flag should go off when you're using wizards and tools that you don't understand what they're doing yeah. and you don't understand the output of them. A fool it's with a tool right. yeah. is still a fool, but the dangerous <laughs> fool. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Yeah, I always told my students that never use any code generator or wizard that will give you anything that you can't look at and understand. Absolutely. Yeah. That's how it should be. Yeah. 
So, uh, so what are the other things that you're thinking about these days in terms of future trends? Well, uh, got your got your iPad. I was actually looking for one today. Were you? Oh yeah, yeah. But decided this is not for me. No. And the reason is basically I travel too much. Yeah. And you need to have a micro micro SIM yeah. cards for every country you travel to. So. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik. We've been blown away by the uptake and the quick adoption of Silverlight. It's no secret, though, that the platform didn't provide for consistent integration with the web analytics services. Well, not anymore. As you might have already heard, Microsoft announced its Silverlight analytics framework, which solves the above-mentioned problem. But what's also interesting is that Telerik already provides support for the framework. Telerik's the first UI components vendor to offer handlers for the Silverlight analytics framework. Using RAD controls for Silverlight, you can immediately benefit from the advantages of the platform and start tracking the statistics of your applications. You can read details and download the handlers at Telerik.com slash Silverlight. And hey, don't forget to thank Telerik for supporting .NET Rocks on their Facebook fan page, Facebook.com slash Telerik. How about a Kindle? Do you have a Kindle? That may be the choice. Yeah. Because I, I want to be able to read books. Yeah. Yeah, we're, I but can't say enough uh, good things know, about uh, um, <laughs> I, I also, I mean, we love toys. I oh, yeah. Mean, that's sure. how yeah. we are. And that's why we like it. But um, uh, unfortunately, you, you don't have all. I mean, if, I wish I could play with them as much as my grandchildren do, actually. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I wanted to uh, sort of move into the the space of what you're looking at for building applications now. You your work you, you're sort of agnostic, as I, I've come to appreciate that. You know, with certainly Microsoft developers. Mm -hmm. I know you, you've done some work around with IBM as well. These days, your company it does. You're sort of language and platform agnostic. It doesn't matter. The modeling is modeling, and it and it works anywhere. Yeah. And now, reality is that we have to to adapt it to different platforms. Right. right? So that's uh, has that been a challenge? Uh, well, it's not. It's it's a, a challenge in that sense. It always takes an ad an adaptation, but and and it always costs money. Mm -hmm. But the, if you look upon it from from a, um, a technical point of view, it's not really a big deal. Uh, so basically, we there are many of the practices that we use when we develop software are actually in the should be independent where what platform we use. Whether we use uh, IBM platform, we use uh, HP platform or, or Microsoft platform, should be totally uh, agnostic. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, not like that today. But uh, one of the things we have done is that uh, many people, many big companies, uh, like uh, uh, particularly in the financial industry, they like um, uh, uh, Aspects I should of of unified process. So basically, all insurance company, all banks, or every basically every larger company, they have some ingredients coming from unified process, rational unified process. Uh, and for instance, use cases. That's a good practice. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, they have iterative development, um, sprints in uh, in right. modern language. Mm -hmm. uh, or, or they have, um, and they have a life cycle where we not only have iterations, but actually have different phases. So first phase is um, you understand the problem. And second phase, you have an architecture. The third phase is actually you have something uh, ready to go to customers. But, and then finally you, you, uh, cast, uh, you, you finalize the, make it generally available. But still you do this iteratively over time. And all these things have been uh, uh, so far exclusive for an IBM audience because uh, 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 IBM has developed it itself. Now, what we have done is made it uh, so it, it's uh, agnostic to platforms. So the same ideas, uh, use cases from beginning to an end, meaning testing, mm -hmm. um, uh, Iterative development and this life cycle is available now on uh, VSTs 2010. It's uh, part of a package that's coming out now. Um, and, and that is done uh, using uh, the um, process templates for, for Agile. Mm. And with some additions uh, that 
makes it possible to really use these ideas for large corporations. So we are basically helping uh, Microsoft and Microsoft, uh, not doing it for helping Microsoft, but we are making it, for the big companies, are making it possible to use Microsoft VSTS 2010 to develop applications as they want to do. Mm. So this is like, uh, you know, Bill Gates said, the reason we go for UML is for, is because the, our customers want it. Right. And the same reason is the reason uh, they go for these things or custom, is because customers want it. Well, there's been a, a lot of investment, I think, in UML over the last 15 years yes. or so. And, uh, and more is coming. Yeah. Uh, what actually is happening now is that uh, UML is going through um, a new uh, step where they will simplify it. UML, UML will be simplified because uh, 80% of UML is uh, only 20%. 20% of UML is enough for 80, 90% of all applications. It's kind of like Microsoft Word for Windows. <laughs> it could be good. Yeah, only yeah. I think it's more like 5% is only what Useful. people use. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I guess so. But here is I say 20 because I'm a little generous, but uh, <laughs> it is uh, uh, we really don't need a lot to be able to we need some for some applications we just need a, uh, some simple of a construct. There are some very complicated diagram types in UML that you really don't need for most applications. So, Ivar, I find most geniuses are morning geniuses, either early morning or late early morning. You know what I'm saying? You either get up really early to write your best code or you write it after a long day and, you know, 3 o'clock in the morning. Do you find that are you like a morning genius or an evening genius? So, first of all, I've never viewed myself as a genius. Uh, and it is not because I am... Um, does uh, evil genius humble, sound better? Yeah. But, but, <laughs> can, can we say evil genius? Does that be okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I may. Now, I, I think um, uh, I basically work uh, always. Mm -hmm. Always. So uh, if I'm not awake, if I'm not, if I'm not, if I'm awake, I, I work. But then, you know, I take quality times to do yeah. really important things yeah. like uh, skiing, hiking, uh, those dance. are the important things. Yeah, dancing too, by the way. Mm -hmm. But there are not many ladies to dance with here. So, <laughs> I uh, I used to find, and it's totally aside. Uh, I used to find that you know early in the morning, waking up at three o'clock in the morning is some of the best programming time uh, for yeah, me. Just because it's dope, quiet. You know, I, I when I was um, when I was a little younger, like twenty or so. I, Not that long ago. No, it's a, a few years, years ago. ago. I, I can still remember them. Mm -hmm. uh, then I worked very late at night. Yeah. Really late at night. Yeah. So, so uh, because then uh, the problem is uh, before late at night, I could always lift the phone and call a friend right. or something. But you don't call after 11. That's it. Yes. Yeah. You know, you've got a nice six or seven hours of smooth, uninterrupted. Yes. yes. Yeah. That's exactly, that's exactly my point. So, so you, we were talking before, uh, you were talking with Richard before about, about some stories. I guess you, you met Bill Gates a couple of times and <clears throat> had some interesting things happen. Yes. Uh, I mean, one, one, uh, when he invented components, for instance, uh, uh, <laughs> I, I think this was 1992. Mm -hmm. uh, he was speaking in Santa Clara, uh, at the conference and, um, I had met him before, so um, he knew who, who I was, mm -hmm. and um, uh, I could talk about that as separate stories, but let's start here, because I was been too long. So he had met me, and uh, I was now listening to him in an audience, 4,000 people sitting and listening now, Bill Gates, in, uh, in his nerdish days was standing and talked uh, for one hour about component and uh, as opposed to his disco swinging days yeah now it's uh, now he's uh, <laughs> he has he has been polished you know wife yeah. uh, wife really helped you know and you know that <laughs> yeah, much more polished since i got married absolutely yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so he uh, he was standing there and talking and 4000 people and i felt you know uh, when he it, it was not really fun um, to be honest <laughs> 
<laughs> and after one hour when he was about to finish, I felt now it's time to run out because otherwise I will stand, have to get out with 4,000 other people. Uh, and um, uh, then later, Microsoft had invited their VIP um, uh, to a buffet dinner. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I was there with 1,000 other people. Uh, and, a thousand uh, other VIPs. Yeah, thousand other VIPs. Yeah. Not very IP. <laughs> <laughs> so I walked around in this uh, big uh, uh, buffet s- local and uh, had a couple, had a, had one beer. And um, uh, when I saw a group of people standing there, and uh, I, I wondered what that is. So, so I basically stood up and and stood on my toes like that. And at that very moment, well, I have to say one more thing. After I left, no, I can't say. So at that very moment, uh, inside the, this uh, cr- I know, cluster, uh, yeah. crowd, 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 crowd. Uh, was Bill Gates, of course. And so he, he, he looked out as I looked like this, and he, <laughs> he said, Ivar. And I, I had absolutely, I thought he had forgotten we had met before. So he, he, but he remembered and he, he, um, he, and we, of course, the crowd opened here and he's, he and I was facing <laughs> here, you know. <laughs> what I didn't know is that after his talk, there had been a ceremony where we had um, given out rewards or awards mm-hmm. for different things. And in my, um, so, that year, I actually got uh, a Productivity Products Award for the best book, 1990, whatever, mm-hmm. 1992 and like mm-hmm. something. And uh, so he, he was there to give me this award, which consists of a diploma, uh, nothing more but a diploma. And I had no idea about that. And you'd left. And I left. Yeah, so they must have called your name out and you didn't, you didn't uh, yes, come down the aisle. Yes, that must have happened. So, of course, he, and, and since he had met me before, we had, so, so he, he could, re- even if he met a lot of people, he remembered that. Mm-hmm. So I was, of course, very surprised when he said, Ivar, congratulations. And I thought, of course, he was <laughs> congratulating me to my general success, okay? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I looked like a question mark, and then he said, congratulations for the book award. So Bill Gates was the guy who introduced Inform me about that. I got the book award wow. ah, I see. for Very the cool. best book, nineteen ninety something. <laughs> That's excellent. Wow. Not bad. Yeah, yeah, it's not no. bad. It's cool. Hey, Bill I, Gates I, knows your name. Beats me. You know. <laughs> I, I have a Bill Gates story too. You want to hear it? Is so, it true? Or yeah, no, it's absolutely true. Okay. So uh, I wrote a book in nineteen ninety four called Visual Basic uh, for Internet Programming, and it was all about sockets. In Visual Basic. And uh, up until then, the words sockets and Visual Basic had never been spoken in the same sentence. Um, so I asked, and this was in, yeah, 90, 94, I think. And so I had a friend at Microsoft who I wanted Bill Gates to write the foreword to my book. And it was just ridiculous that I, that I was thinking this. But so I, 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 he asked Bill for me. And uh, I got the reply back from Bill through this guy, and it said, I'm going to have to pass on this. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so, I, I mean, I have... I, I don't want... I don't want to let you get the last word, so uh, <laughs> I have never Bill Gates story, and, okay. and this is not true. So, <laughs> uh, but uh, two guys or three guys that go into a bar. Uh, this was when um, I actually gave a similar, like this, an interview on stage mm-hmm. in uh, in Wales somewhere in uh, Europe, you know, and um, uh, the guy was a Microsoft guy, Jacobs something. Uh, uh, Ron, Jacobs. Ron Jacobs. Yes, Ron Jacobs. Yeah. And, and he wanted to warm up the audience before we had the interview. So he told this joke. Uh, it was at an airport. And um, he, he was talking to his friend Chris. While they were talking at the gate, you know, we were standing at the gate waiting for flight, Bill Gates came in. So Chris said, isn't that Bill Gates? 
Yes, yes, yes. Oh, I need to talk to him. No, 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 no. Let, let, let him be. I need to talk to him. And he runs up to Bill Gates and, and says, uh, Are you really Bill Gates? <laughs> yes. It's unbelievable. I'm standing here in front of Bill Gates. I can't believe it. Mm. And B Bill was, of course, embarrassed. So, um, then his, Chris said to Bill, Could you do me a favor, Bill? In a little while, a friend of mine, and it was not a friend, it was a customer, will come. And can you come up to me and pat me on the shoulder and say, Hi, Chris, how are you? <laughs> <laughs> I can do that. <laughs> I can do that. And so a little while later, Chris was standing there talking met his his customer uh, talking and um, so Bill went up to him patted his shoulder and said hi Chris how are you Bill can't you see I'm busy <laughs> <laughs> isn't it <Yeah>. funny <laughs> oh, man true stories are not as funny as these you <laughs> so you know after after I got turned down by Bill Gates to write the forward to my book, which, you know, was a crushing blow. Uh, I was not really. I just really didn't expect him to. I thought about writing my own forward or finding, going through the Kansas uh, phone book and finding a William Gates, calling him up and asking him if he would write the forward to my book. <laughs> I said, uh, hi, this is Bill Gates. I'm a wheat farmer in Topeka, Kansas. <laughs> I don't know anything about internet programming, but Carl asked me to write the forward to his book. It's great. <laughs> but I just didn't have, didn't, the, I didn't have the cojones to do oh. that. Yeah, I might have made some people mad. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, you've met some other uh, sort of. You talk about the thirty-three people on this on the CMAT. Yeah. Uh, you must know all of those folks. Uh, yes, I. I think I know. No, some of them came in um, later. Right. But I mean, re the real famous one. I, <laughs> all the really famous ones. There's other guys. Eh, oh. <laughs> no, but we 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 actually uh, these people we invited to be signatory become mm -hmm. signators were really famous. But there were some in more in computer science area that I really didn't know. Uh, pure computer science. But um, I will learn to know them. Yeah, no kidding. But so I think about folks like Grady Booch and so forth. Like, How many continents have you been drunk on with this guy? Like, <laughs> you guys worked together for a long time, yes. right? A lot of different projects. You know, There's got to be some stories there. Oh, Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Should I just go look for the police reports? Is that the best way to learn these stories? No, but uh, uh, there was many, many stories and many funny stories. Uh, and I really have appreciated this time working with Grady and Jim. Mm -hmm. Both are very different. Uh, uh, the two of them are very different, and, mm -hmm. and we are very different too. So we learned a lot from one another. But... Um, of course, we had some funny stories. I remember I told uh, Grady uh, that I got an email from a guy who said, uh, uh, you know, I've got Ivar, I've got a son. I would like to baptize him to Eva. Is, would you be okay with that? So, of course, I answered yes. So I told this to Grady, and Grady said, that's nothing. I got an email from a guy who said he had a dog, and he asked me if I could, if he could baptize that dog to Grady. <laughs> 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 so I asked him, what do you say? Yes, of course. <laughs> Grady Pooch. Yeah, oh, no. Very good. <laughs> and and uh, however, other stories that Grady, he, he gave a presentation in Tokyo, and, and he had his long hair, you know. And, and after his presentation, a lady came up and uh, said to him, Grady Pooch, you remind me of Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you can't imagine how many of these stories I've just not been thinking about. Uh, <laughs> uh, I was in Tokyo and uh, interviewed on stage too. And mm -hmm. then um, they asked me, uh, they really put me on the spot and said, so if you were on going on vacation, which of these two guys would you prefer to go on oh, vacation? Oh, nice. Yeah. Very nice. So, of course, the only answer I could give is obvious, right? Uh, it depends on what you want to do. Oh. Mm -hmm. And if you want to go skiing, there's no doubt I would love to go with Jim Rumba, because he's a really good skier, and he and I have been skiing together. 
if you want to to uh, uh, go to concert, uh, it's no doubt it would be Grady. Ah, I because see. Because he's really good. Uh, uh, musician actually and singer too so it would be great so there are many many very hmm. interesting and I learned a lot of working with these two guys I didn't know that about Grady Booch he's a musician is he yes he, is he, he sings and he plays and he he, he does that uh, in, in smaller societies of course mm-hmm. but also in church so he's um, mm. hmm. oh did not know that I didn't know that either alright what else don't we know about these luminaries what, do, what, do we, what don't we know about you Hidden talents. Hidden talents. Um, well, skiing, hiking, uh, tennis, um, golf. I love to play, but I didn't have time, so I stopped yeah. doing that. I think that's pretty much everybody's feeling about golf. Yeah, I, I, I love to do it. I will do it when I become ninety-five or something yeah, like that. Okay. Uh, You'd spend all the day last, on the- my last fifty years. Uh, um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, and then uh, I think uh, one thing I really love is dancing. Oh, yeah. Modern dancing. Ballroom. Uh, uh, yes, that too, but also salsa and other mm-hmm. things, you know. Wow. Uh, oh, salsa. You know, I, I have a... Come on, come on. It's good. And so... But tennis is uh, yeah. my sport, and and uh, you know jogging, go out, uh, go to gym. Uh, do you have a Wii? Do you have a? Do you have a Wii? A Nintendo Wii? Nintendo you know, Wii? Oh no, no, no! I don't have that. No? Okay, I understand. No. I yeah. Okay. Because you said tennis, and that's the only tennis I play. <laughs> <laughs> and I've learned how to play it sitting down too. You know, with a bowl of popcorn in the other hand. So. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, I am quite good on wines too, actually. At what wines? Take your, take your wines, both actually. drinking oh, wines. And, and 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 tasting. Mm-hmm. So. Wow. Okay. Well, Richard, I'm going to let you take the next uh, question because you're the one snob I, among yeah. us. Well, we both we we both enjoy wine. I just I, I generally I have to pick it. Well, because you know what you're doing, and I don't. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, maybe we should jump back to technology. I know we're just about out of time yeah. here, and uh, so. You actually see, I mean, obviously with the signatories around uh, the CMAT and this whole process, do you think we're going to get some sense? I've always thought that the problem with uh, with development is that uh, we don't have a professional association. Mm-hmm. You know, I think about engineers and doctors and lawyers and so forth. They have a bar or they have some kind of professional association behind them. Mm-hmm. Is that what ultimately development is going to need to be successful? Uh, first, first, we need to know how we're going to certify right people. what yeah. is it really right. the knowledge but we don't know that yet. we've had we've got all we've always had different kinds of certification right i mean microsoft's got certifications cisco's got certifications ibm scrum certification scrum certification no, name it nothing that will take responsibility yeah. or the or, big definer i see is you know when you pass the bar there's a a legal association that takes responsibility for you that says mm. if that guy messes up we clean up the mess mm. Right. Same with the medical association. You become a doctor, that organization, they take a liability on. Mm -hmm. It just seems like that's what we'd have to do ultimately as developers. If we're going to be professionals, there has to be an association that we're somehow connected to that certifies us. And that certification is backed with when you write a program that destroys something, they take responsibility for it. They're going to take it out on you, but, Mm -hmm. you know, at least that's the backing. It seems to be like the grown-up process when you talk about engineering disciplines and other professional organizations. Yes. Uh, so this area is not really an area I have taken any really interest in because I really think it's too early. Okay. I mean, we can we can do that. Uh, we can do certification and so on. But I feel the knowledge, uh, our common knowledge, what it means to develop software. Um, we all know how to develop our software. But how, as a community, how to develop software, that knowledge is very low. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why we have uh, initiated this initiative, which, if successful, will have a dramatic impact on the whole industry. It doesn't mean it will actually be more fun. It will be much more fun than it is today. And we will be more rewarded um, in many ways. But uh, before we actually do certain have real CEO certification, we need to know what raise the level. That's my opinion. But other people have other opinions, and, and I, I, don't, mm. I don't think I have a last word here. Well, I think the other side of this is that when you put together a standards body like that and a certification process like that, you do impair the ability for that industry 
to advance. Yeah, there is a risk for that. That's mm-hmm. like you know CMMI. Uh, we had this level one, two, three, four, five, which uh, I always felt was just a hype, right? Mm-hmm. And now it is a hype. So, <laughs> oh, I see. Uh, it's all it, about protection. It really, really. CMMI, uh, there are good things in CMMI, like uh, having metrics and uh, continuous improvement, mm-hmm. good things. But this uh, hype on level, levels that actually helped with the Indian industry to be um, as successful as they have been, become because uh, Western Western company believe they really knew how to develop software, which yeah. is just uh, not true. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we have this uh, uh, certification. Scrum certification is also something you can – I mean, isn't it fantastic? You take a two-day class. Uh, you pay $2,500 per head. Scrum After two master. days. Huh? Yeah, Scrum Master. Yeah. yeah. No, you're certified. Certified Scrum Master. And, and you, you don't have any test. And then you, then after these two days, you put on your CV, I am a PhD in computer science and a certified scrum master. This is just an example of what we need to get out. Test passer. Yes. But this is, uh, this is what it is. And, and uh, the same thing with CMMI certification. Yeah. And it's actually the wrong thing to Mm -hmm. certify. It's the wrong thing. So that's why I believe we need to know more about what software really is. Software engineering is really is. And I think if CMAT does what it's people hope it will do, Mm -hmm. uh, and we will deliver results within uh, now 11 months, Mm. uh, that is uh, useful for the industry. And uh, for the research, because we also want to bring in the academics. The academics are not part of it. We have the, uh, we have the industry and we have the academics and we don't talk to one another really. Mm. Well, I, I find that when we do talk to one another, we disagree completely. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. They're, they're, the industry don't feel way. there is anything useful coming out of the Academia, research, yeah, yeah, academics. Right. And, and it's true because only very little, 1% or less is really something that is used. And the other way around, the academics feel that the industry doesn't know what they want. Mm-hmm. And if they w- whatever they want, it's not the right thing they, they should do. So that's also something we are trying to breach. Well, I'd like to uh, thank you, Ivar, for coming out and uh, sharing your wisdom with us and your thoughts. Thank you, Ivar Jakobsen, ladies and gentlemen. Give him a hand. Thank you. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rock! .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band.